Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Diane Callahan, your host of the Lighthearted Life Radio Show, and our topic today is the healing power of creativity. And I am so, so excited about our guest today. Her name is Diane Silvestri. She's a physician, a patient, and a poet. And we're going to talk about so many things. And, and I just want to say welcome, Diane, to the show. Well, Diane, it is a true privilege to be here with you. I'm looking forward to what we can talk about. <laughs> well, Diane, I told you that I was really um, excited to have you on the show today, particularly today. This is my first show of 2023, and today is January 16th, 2023. Tomorrow is the 17th, and tomorrow is my 10-year rebirthday from having my unrelated donor stem cell transplant at City of Hope. And so it is a huge celebration, and there's no one I want to celebrate with more than you who know exactly what I'm talking about and have been through the exact same thing with your own stem cell transplant. Isn't that great? Yes, you give me goosebumps. My goodness, and happy birthday, a day ahead. I do celebrate my stem cell transplant birthday, too, as my physicians and nurses encouraged, and mine is July 25th, so maybe we can celebrate together then, too. Oh, yes. Let's plan on it. And what year did you have your transplant? My transplant was 2013, nearly 10 years ago now. So, wait, we're we're both 2013 transplants. So yeah, ten years this year. Yes. Oh my gosh, talk about getting the chills, Diane. Don't, you, don't I mean when I tell people that, they look at me and they say you are literally a miracle. Do you hear that too? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> and I feel that too. <laughs> I do too. I and and that's why I'm just so happy to have you on the show to be able to talk about all these things because, um, you know, a lot of people have no idea, well, literally, a lot of people have no idea what we're talking about right now. So both Diane and I are blood cancer survivors. Diane, what um, type of cancer did you have? I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and very suddenly. So um, that was the leukemia and I had a, a course of chemotherapy in order to try to get a remission. But long story short, I was old enough that um, I wasn't guaranteed or wasn't expected to have to stay in remission unless I had the help of a stem cell transplant to fight off any recurrence of leukemia. 
Ah, and did you have, did you do an autologous transplant first with your own stem, stem cells? No, and that wouldn't have been possible for me because I had almost no cells and somewhere in there, there was a poisonous one or more. Yes. Um, and so I needed to have a matched donor, preferably, and in fact, was able to find a, what they call 10 out of 10, which means all of the stripes on both of the chromosomes in the right places for immunity, for making the immune response in a person, those all matched mine. Um, and was it someone you knew or someone you didn't know? I didn't know my donor. And in fact, the policy is not to be able to find out who the donor is for at least a year after the transplant. That's what it was when I got mine. Um, I was only told he was a 28-year-old male. And have you since um, gotten to at least him or send him a letter or anything like that? Yes, about um, three years after the transplant, I finally pulled myself together enough to be <laughs> able to try to find out who was this 28-year-old man. And um, I have met him. He actually was a medical student at the time. He had his cheek swabbed because a fellow classmate had lost her brother to leukemia. And so several years later, when he was about to uh, finish his uh, internship, he got his, his phone in his pocket rang and said, you, are you still interested? So that I tell mm -hmm. about in the one poem that I think you had said was one of your favorites in my book. So we've gotten well, him. He's actually part of the family now and a real rock oh, star in the family. <laughs> so he's a physician. And, and um, yeah. Thank you. There's so much I want to talk about. Let me just say this. So he, he's in the United States. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so my donor, I also had an unrelated donor. Um, she was a 9 out of 10 match for me. And um, I didn't get to find out anything about her for two years because when um, the donor is from outside of the United States, it's a two-year wait. And, um, but my donor was a young, is and was a young mom who lives in a small town in Germany. Um, she, at the time, worked at a bakery that was sort of like a Panera um, that we know here in the States. And she had just gotten on the registry because she thought it was a good thing to do. She might save somebody's life, and it turned out it was my life that she saved. And so um, these I, – I just think it's so important to to tell these stories and honor these donors because it is so easy to get on the Be The Match registry with just a swab of your cheek and um, and have the potential for saving someone's life. And when you donate stem cells particularly – it's just like it's like donating blood. They take the, the blood product out of one arm, and then they put it through a centrifuge. The stem cells drop out. They put the rest of the product back in your other arm, and it's, it's almost like nothing happened at all except for the rest of your life. You know, no matter what great things or not-so-great things you do, you know that you saved somebody's life. I can't imagine what that feels like. Can you? 
That is just so well put. I said that I must add, um, so I have four children of my own, and my youngest, a daughter, had her first child, a son, um, a year and a half ago, and she and her husband decided to give his middle name uh, the name, first name of my donor. So not only yeah. have we visited oh, my donor several times and he's visited us, uh, but now he is in the family by being a namesake. Oh, my, oh, Diane, I cannot love this more. That is the most <laughs> special, special thing. Oh, I, I just love it. And so I want, you know, I did one of the poems that, first of all, okay, I'm all over the place. Listeners, Diane recently um, published a, mo, a, a just a beautiful book of poetry called But I Still Have My Fingerprints. Um, it was published last November, and it is a poetic journey um, that follows along the life of a blood cancer patient, um, a stem cell donor recipient, and a survivor and thriver. And so many of the poems in this book brought me to tears. They brought me to my knees. They gave me a little bit of PS. PTSD, because it, it took me right back to those, you know, those long hospital stays. And, um, and you all, Diane is a physician as well. So she went from physician to patient and then through this experience as a poet um, created something so beautiful that not only resonates deep in the soul of others like us who have had um, significant health journeys, but it also so finds a light for those who have not had such a an, a journey through illness, so that they can, like at this cellular level, understand to some degree what we go through as patients. And so it's so beautiful because um, the reader can can get it to some degree in these words that Diane shares that are able to to express it this way so that others can understand our journey. So Diane, I just say I just want to applaud you so much. I have so many questions for you, but before we go there, I would love for you to read one of my favorite um pieces in your book is called Dear healthy 28-year-old man, and like you mentioned, this is about your wonderful benefactor and donor. Would you share it with us, Diane? Oh, I'm so delighted to. I must remind the audience that this is before I ever met this wonderful young man who is a hero. But I only could wonder at the time. The title of this poem is Dear Healthy 28-Year-Old Man. How did you get the idea to be a marrow donor? What prompted you to sign to let them swab your cheek? Why did you take a chance somewhere there might be a me? How did you feel when they called to warn you could be a match? Did they ask if you still meant it, still wanted to give yourself? How did you react when your blood confirmed your chromosome for immunity was a picture of the totem of mine, ten stripes in perfect match? Did you know about the shots 
that would drive your bones to ache, to make newborn cells, to be siphoned, sifted, and shipped on ice to me? Longing, ready, waiting? Whoever you are, will your sacrifice be worthwhile? I, I can't read this poem or hear you read it without being so choked up because isn't this the question, Diane, that we ask ourselves that all of the people that have gone into our um, life-saving journey, right? Not obviously, mostly our stem cell donors, but even, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've had so many, um, uh, I've had so much blood pumped into me and, and plasma and blood products that have been donated by people who live in Southern California where I live. I mean, I'm a mix of this whole community now. And I wonder, and I ask, and I think often late at night in the middle of the night, am I making sure that their sacrifice is worthwhile? Do you still ask yourself that? Well, um, yes, I have a particular um, feeling of closeness to people who do donate, I remember the surprise finding out that a daughter-in-law's father regularly went in to donate cells, and suddenly I felt much more, you know, gratitude to him um, as a person for knowing what he was doing as life-saving for not just me but others. Um, and uh, there were many sacrifices, just not just in the red cells, the platelets, and all those infusions. Uh, the donors for them, but also um, the people who helped take care of me. I don't know about you, but for the first 100 days, which after the transplant, which is the most critical time during which Mm -hmm. the recipient can um, succumb to infections or uh, other complications where you get a rejection of your normal body by this transplant that's in you. Anyway, during that time, I had the tender care of my sister, Uh, to whom I wrote one of the poems because she was obviously tested to see if she could be my donor and she wasn't a match, uh, which was a really, um, oh, I don't know, a very confusing and troubling thing. But she loves me and she took care of me. Oh, my gosh. I I know exactly what you're saying. Um, In fact, I have sisters and two brothers. All, you know, we're all from the same two parents. And there's a statistic out there that each full-blooded sibling has about a 25% chance of being a match, right? So I thought 25 times four is a hundred. So I'm in like Flynn and not one of those people were donor were matches for me. And I'm like, mom, do we need to talk about my adoption? (laughs) So I, 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 I know what you're talking about. I'll tell you what, I have so many questions for you. But before we get into all my myriad questions and some more um, readings from you, I would like to take a quick moment to recognize one of our sponsors, National University. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the United States and indeed around the globe 
with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. Okay, we are back to the Lighthearted Life radio show, and with us today is my darling guest, Diane Silvestri, and we've, had, we've started such a wonderful conversation about our, um, the journey that both of us have taken through blood cancer and uh, unrelated stem cell donor transplants. And Diane, there's just so many things I want to ask you. First, because you are a physician, you're a retired associate professor at UMass, the Chan Medical School. I'm, I'm so curious about this. What is it like being a doctor becoming a patient? Is it, it must be different, my journey of, you know, being not in the medical field whatsoever. So in what ways do you think it was different for you? Well, it is particularly jarring uh, to be the one in the hospital gown rather than the one uh, beside the bed or even having medical students with you to teach about that person inside the gown. So um, experiencing it from the backside is, is uh, shocking first. Another thing is I think um, for me that I recognize that it sort of feels like a failure. You know, here I am supposed to be the healer, and suddenly I'm a stranger to the healers that are trying to take care of me because I'm a sick one and I'm a failure. I didn't stay well. I didn't make myself well. Of course, that's, you know, it's out of my hands. I got that um, cell going crazy and about to kill me. I think that one other thing that um, I experienced is that as a medical person, I knew implications of a diagnosis. I knew potential mm-hmm. side effects of the drugs that were being used and um, the worst possible outcomes. So it's easy to have even greater fear than I think all people do with a bad diagnosis. But to know the ins and outs and to know that when the doctor says, well, I think it will be, that it may not be at all um, the prognosis he says. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I I wonder this is why what I themed the show about to some degree. I I wonder about the healing power of of the art, of of writing, of words, of of painting, of just creativity in in the kitchen or you know with your computer. Do you believe that um, expressing this journey in in a creative way is helpful in healing? Oh, I do. Uh, What's interesting is at first I couldn't express it through writing other than my Caring Bridge blog, which informed everybody around me, you know, what my counts were today, et cetera. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I, I did um, use my computer to help decorate a son's apartment, a son's house. They had just moved into a new house, and so I was busy with that, which is a, a hobby. I realized this in, in, you know, retrospect. Another thing, back when I was in the transplant room for another month, I actually finished a scrapbooking project. Um, I used Creative Numbers at that time and had to do a two-volume book 
of a son's crew journey in college, which was great fun to me and helped pass my time. So I think that had mm-hmm. really a good effect. But finally, when I got back to crafting some of my notes into poetry, one of the major things that helped me do was sort out my identity. You know, what, what, what was left? Who was I now? I'm not a doctor primarily anymore. I mean, I did give a few teaching lectures afterwards, but found I would get sick too easily and so on. So that job mm-hmm. was gone. Copy edit from home, that was it for that. So I resumed uh, a real love of mine since about second grade, which was writing poetry and found mm-hmm. out, you know, well, I did still have a love of gardening, and that comes out in a poem, or um, uh, the dark room I used to have. It really brought back to me what I was and now could still capture to be the person I am. I love that. I think the thing is, like, when we express ourselves in any type of creative way, and there are so many, like you mentioned, photography, uh, gardening, you know, decorating and creating a beautiful home. Part of my creativity is my wardrobe and how I like to dress um, or writing or painting, all these things. What is so uh, profound about them is that the act of creating is is literally the act of being alive, in my opinion. And so when we, when we indulge that need, that desire to create, we are standing so, so boldly in our aliveness. You know, even though there may be a disease trying to take us down, take, it, take our aliveness away from us, Creating says, nope, I'm a creator and I'm alive. And, and I think that is so helpful during the illness itself if you have the, um, the wellness enough to do creative things. Or after, as you said, through the experience and understand how it has changed us, hopefully for the good, um, because anything hard we go through is meant to help us grow and change. And so that act of creating is, is such a, such a, what am I trying to say? I, I'm in picturing like a standard bearer, right? Someone who is saying, I am alive now. I'm here. I'm creating. And um, no, nothing took that, can, took that away from me at this point. It's a statement to the world. Do you agree or am I just like going <laughs> – I do think it helped me uh, realize some values that was left in me. I mean, you feel pretty much defeated by this. And like, actually, as though at any moment you might get the next infection and this one would kill you or you, you know. So I, um, I think it did help restore value. Okay, I'm good for something. Um, but also it helped me realize uh, what I'm still grateful for. And gratitude was extremely invigorating that is to to re be reborn with sort of a greater sense a lot of people who come close to death talk about that a greater sense of appreciation for even small things and the last thing i would say is that um that help that just taking care once i was realized i'm still alive you know each day to actually be a caretaker in a way to the 
people who are coming in to take care of me in the hospital. Caretaker in the sense that I treated them like they were really valuable people. You know, I loved the fact that I could hear what one lady was concerned about with her husband or what one fellow was concerned about because his he was going to see his kids and his ex that day for one of the birthday celebrations. And, you know, I could listen to them and talk to them. You know, Diane, I love that you said that because – um, one of the things that I, I talk about, I, I'm a, I had my transplant at City of Hope in Southern California, and I'm on their speakers bureau, and I speak monthly at their new, uh, new employee welcome day so that they can get a sense of the patient's journey. And yep. I always share that it's so healing and helpful to me to have normal conversations with my caregivers. They'd come in just like you said. I mean, they'd come in and share their worries or concerns with me and ask my, you know, my thinking and I would give, you know, my advice for what it was worth or we would just talk things through. And it's amazing how important that is to make you feel like a human, uh, a thinking being and not just a patient in the gown. Do you think, do you agree with that? Yes. I mean, even the housekeeper, who my most regular housekeeper in room 768, <laughs> when I was there for a month, I knew her by the first name. I knew who her son was and what trouble he was having. I said, I'm going to pray for your son. You know, it was what a bond we developed so that I would even know her and speak to her if I went back to the hospital today, 10 years later. And she's probably there. Right, exactly. <laughs> and there is such a healing power in helping other people. And whether that's, you know, I've raised a lot of money for cancer research since my initial diagnosis, and that's one aspect. But even just the day-to-day, like, how can I, can I listen? Can I pray for you? Can I, you know, cheer you on, you as a separate human being, not just as someone serving me, the patient? You know, there's such a healing power in that, in that humanness. Yes. To experience yes. it together. I want to ask you, is there another poem that that you love? They're all like your children, so how do you love one more than others? But that you would love to share. Well, first of all, I love the poem, um, the poem for George. Do you consider sharing I that? <laughs> I will. It's pretty short. Another one I might share is retail therapy, just because it makes an important point about surviving. So first we'll do poems. I that one too, it's, Diane. Great. It's, uh, I wrote this poem because it's very lonely uh, in the first month with the chemo and just nurses coming in and out and, of course, occasional family. But I wrote this poem for George. I've named this special IV pole George, my constant companion in empty hours through chemo and the eternal waiting. He tirelessly suspends fluid balloons and supports pumps that purr and sizzle like dizzy bees, pushing mysteries into me. George is strong to steady my step and sometimes winks his gleam at my gloom. He doesn't object if I push him away when I need some space. Infrequently, his tires accidentally roll over the three trailing tubes that hitch us together. He tries to fit his six-wheeled stance beside the toilet in my narrow bathroom. He's become a friend, even if twice he nipped my ankle. But I understand. My anger slips out sometimes, too. 
I love, love, love this poem so much. I wish I had thought to name my Ivy pole something. Uh, I might have named her Ivy. <laughs> so may I go ahead with have, retail therapy? Yes, but may I share just, I just love that you have such a, a lighthearted take on of the journey. It makes me joyful. And yes, do please share retail therapy. Okay, this is when I was finally enjoying getting out. That is out from my house where I've been in isolation as well. Retail therapy declared fit to shop for groceries. I heat my carriage with bulging bags, offload bounty to my car, coax my empty cart on the asphalt to surge toward the highlight of the trip. At the return stall, I plunge the cart into the queue in clattering collision, thrust it through the nearest basket's back, then ram the tube to engage some strays, grating cacophony while I assemble those flung pell-mells by odd customers who don't appreciate how good this feels. Hallelujah. I mean, the things that, that people granted or, or that irritate them become literally joyful moments in a survivor's life. The fact that you had yes. the energy to go to the store and, and walk that card out to your car and walk it back over to the, the collection thing, whatever they call that. You know, one of those steps was a prayer of thanks, wasn't it? Yep. I loved it. And I, I feel it still. Like whenever I walk into Kaiser, which is where I'm treated and followed up, and when I walk in on my own steam, straight up, not wobbly, I am so grateful. I'll park half a mile away just because I know I can, which is a which is a beautiful outcome. You know, time has gone so quickly, Diane, and so um, I want everybody to know if you want to learn more about Diane and her journey and her poetry and her beautiful book. Um, again, it's called "But I Still Have My Fingerprints," which is um, alludes to Diane. What does that allude to? That title. Oh, I was searching for my identity, what was left. And I did still have my fingerprints. Because when you have a stem cell transplant, basically, basically I tell people that we could do crimes because our fingerprints still have those, but our DNA is different. If you took blood DNA, it would look different than like a cheek swab. I mean, we're, we're, we're a chimera. That's what we're called. We're part the other person for the rest of our life. And so at least our fingerprints are the same as they ever were. I, I love that title so much. Diane, my last question to you before we must go is, by the way, my sentence, if you want to find out more about Diane and her beautiful book, go to her website, which is very simple. It's www. Diane Silvestri. It's Diane with two N's, just like me. D I A N N E S I L V E S T I. What do you, the readers will take away from after you know take away from reading your beautiful book? I've written it in order to hope that anyone going through similar experiences would recognize they're not alone and that their pluck in trying to survive makes a difference 
um, and that they really are of great value. Whatever they make of the trip, if they are grateful for the small things and the people around them. I love it. I love it so much. Um, I'm coming out with my second book this this year called Journey Through Illness, a guidebook for a trip you never want to take. And and listeners, Diane has so graciously contributed a poem for, to share in that book. And one of the things I talk about in one of the the later chapters is um, the souvenirs that you get to bring back from this journey. And the, to me, the most profound one is what Diane just mentioned, the gratitude, the deepest gratitude that you can even imagine for being able to walk your shop, shopping cart back to the corral, for your breath, for your experiences in your life. And, and Diane and I have had 10 years, bonus years, blessed years, because of the generous, beautiful people who thought, let me just get my cheek swabbed and I'll get on this registry and, you know, maybe one day I'll be called to save someone's life. And so, listeners, if you want to have that feeling too, I encourage you to go to the website, Be The Match. They are the ones that have the, um, the registry for donors. And particularly, if you are of a beautiful mixed race, if you're a, a combination of multiple ethnicities that make you so beautiful, I say, please, please go get on the registry because those of us who have gone through blood cancer and are of mixed race have so much trouble finding a donor. And, you know, I am 100% Norwegian. I found a donor within six weeks. I was the luckiest of the lucky. And I want to make sure that anyone who needs a donor will find one. So please go to bethematch.com and order your little swabbing kit, swab your cheek and send it in. And someday you might have a poem written about you in a beautiful book like Diane Silvestri's. And so with that, I'd like to say thank you again. Thank you, Diane, so much for being my guest and sharing your heart on the show in, in your poetry. And a special thanks to all of our listeners in the United States, but also around the world, because we are an international show. After our show today, you can listen to Women Lead Radio on all subscription podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. So go there and listen to our amazing shows. And by the way, we're expanding quickly to have a daily radio show and podcast. So for now, we'll be back again for another live Women Lead Radio on Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and also on Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Everyone, it has been my sincere pleasure to be your host today talking about something so close to my heart. Thank you for listening. I want you to have a great week. We're kicking off um, an amazing 2023. And I just, I just wish for you to keep gratitude in your heart and keep looking for ways to have the most lighthearted life filled with joy and purpose. All right. See you on our next show. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.